1: programs and welcome to the Nerd Cave Retro Show. My name is Jason Robbins. and I'm Derek Diamond. So how was your weekend, sir?
2: Well, it's been a very relieving one because after Saturday night, I have 11 days of no baseball to work. Awesome. So I'm so I am extremely happy. Had a nice relaxing day today playing video games with my Nerd Cave co-host Zach and Robbie. Uh, had dinner with some family, and uh, now here doing the show. Uh, well, It's too bad that uh, you
1: couldn't have gotten done a day earlier because last night Wally and I were in Pensacola, your neck of the woods, doing a uh, 30th anniversary showing of The Lost Boys, and we did a showing of Monsters Anonymous, and we had a Q&A session afterwards. How'd it go? Oh, it was fantastic. Everybody loved it.
2: Good, good. Yeah, you guys were actually not too far away from where I was, probably like three or four blocks down. Oh, yeah? Because you guys were at Vinyl, was... right?
1: Yeah, we were at the Vinyl Music Theater.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's... um, That's a really cool yeah, venue to show movies in, too. Yeah, Vinyl's great. It's probably the best place to, to host a concert that's in our town, because the, the Bass Center, which you've been to because it hosts Pensacon, mm-hmm. is, uh, is quite old. and kind of worn down so but that's that's a story for a whole separate podcast but vinyl's great you know I've been to a couple of shows there and you know the people who run it do a really good job so I'm glad they're doing you know other things besides concerts like like showing movies it's really cool because I know Pensacon Pensacon's done, done stuff with them since the beginning since they started their convention and Vinyl's always been, you know, a great place. Yeah, I'm interested to
1: see what uh, what they're going to do next because they did the 30th anniversary of uh, RoboCop a few weeks ago, Mm which I wish I could have been there to see that. But I think they're going to be doing a Mad Max uh, Road Warrior showing as well, which is the I think right now it's like the 30th. Is it the 30th or the 35th anniversary? Something like
2: that. uh, Let me find out real quick. The Road Warrior. Uh, it came out in eighty one. Eighty one, so that would be what? 30. No, actually, it says here eighty one, and then on IMDb it says eighty one, but on like the Google description it says eighty two. Okay, because it could have possibly
1: been they're they're counting it from nineteen eighty two because uh, it did come out in America like a year after it came out in Australia.
2: Yeah, I'm seeing that now. Yeah, it came out in Australia. It was December of 81. Mm-hmm. And in the United States, it was May of 1982. Oh, yeah. So it would be like the 35th anniversary. God, that's a long mm-hmm. time. <laughs> I know. Man. That's insane. But... Uh, I'd definitely love to go see that because Road Warrior is a fantastic movie. Oh, it, yeah. it was really groundbreaking when it comes to you know like modern-day car chases and action films. Road Warrior kind of put that stuff on the map. Oh, I think it still holds up too. I watched it not oh, too sure. long ago when it was still on.
1: Um, uh, it was still on Hulu, I think, and I watched it, mm-hmm. and oh, it
2: was so good. I love that movie. Of the original Mad Max trilogy, it's easily the best of of the three. Oh, it's yeah. this no question about that because the first one's
1: kind of boring, and then uh, yeah, the third one was uh, Thunderdome was. Like, it's like two different movies. I don't know. We should do, actually, we should do an episode on the Mad Max trilogy because I could go for an hour talking about how weird Thunderdome is. Like, the first half of the movie is great, and then the rest of it, I fall asleep every single time I watch that movie. Yeah.
2: Two men into one man
1: leaves. <laughs> Who runs by to Town? Blaster master runs by all the time.
2: Blaster master. (laughs) Let's go ahead and move into. uh, Oh, what's that? I was going to say Mad Max is kind of the opposite. The first like three fourths of it are really boring. And then once, once he flips out, it gets really good. Yeah. I'll agree with that. But that man, that first half of
1: that movie is so hard to get through.
2: Yeah. I tried to show it to somebody once and they're like, this is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. And I'm like, you've got to get through it. Yeah. Trust me. You'll like the ending. (laughs)
1: But uh, but let's but, we got a we got a news story. I know that you're chomping at the bit to talk about because this affected you directly this week. Uh, let's go ahead and move into the news. And I'm going to let
2: you take this one. So, like a lot of other people who are fans of retro gaming, specifically the Super Nintendo. We're quite excited to find out about the SNES Classic, which we've talked about Mm -hmm. pretty in-depth on this show. So I was surprised a couple of weeks ago to find that Walmart was doing pre-orders for the SNES Classic. So I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. They're actually doing a legitimate Mm pre-order. Now, I wish I had gone back and checked like Best Buy, GameStop, even Amazon to see if they were doing pre-orders. But I was like, chances are... They're probably sold out, so I pre-ordered an SNES Classic from Walmart. And then this story breaks out, and this comes to us from Kotaku.com. Walmart cancels SNES Classic pre-orders, citing a glitch. If you've breathed a sigh of relief as you lock down your SNES Classic pre-order on Walmart Friday night, it's time to start hyperventilating again because the retailer has just canceled the orders in mass, and they are quoted as saying, Unfortunately, due to a technical glitch, the Super Nintendo Classic Edition was mistakenly made available last Friday evening ahead of the official release date. We regrettably will have to cancel this item on your order. We know that this is incredibly disappointing to you, and we're truly sorry for this mistake. Wah, wah. Now I've been reading a lot of comments on Facebook and responses to different articles, and people are blasting Nintendo for this. I know, and it's not their not their fault. Exactly. If you should be mad at anybody, you should be mad at Walmart because mm-hmm. Best Buy never did any pre-orders. GameStop never did any. It's listed on Amazon, but it's listed as unavailable, and you can sign up to get an email when it's made available for pre-order or just for purchase. It's not Nintendo's fault. Walmart obviously jumped the gun. They did something they weren't supposed to. Now, I will say, you know, I I got my money back for the pre-order, which was good, because that would have been a a whole other PR nightmare. Uh, It says here, hopefully when real pre-orders do go live, if that happens, there will be enough to go around. In the meantime, Walmart probably just lost itself, many a customer with this mishandling. Which... It is a valid argument. So it's uh, it, it, was, it was disappointing, I'm not going to lie, because I thought to myself, okay, I've got it pre-ordered, so now I don't have to worry about it. But the weird thing was, the system's coming out on the 29th of September, but it said it wouldn't be available until October 5th. Yeah. And that was for store pickup, which I thought was really strange, because I was like, why would I have to wait a week after this thing is released to get it. Hmm. So it. the The whole thing was just weird. And yeah. I feel bad because I, I posted this online. I'm like, hey, if you want an SNES classic, you can pre-order it right now. Well you texted and, me that night and
1: told me it was up for of yeah. uh, uh, and available. Yeah. But this is so. just awful, man. Like there's been such a debacle around these uh classic consoles and this this doesn't help Walmart. I mean no, don't be mad at Nintendo about this, everybody that's no. listening. You know, that this happened to. This is Walmart's fault. Be mad at Walmart. I, I'm always mad at Walmart. I don't have to have a reason. I'm just mad at them.
0: <laughs> just Blame the Walton Walmart. family. <laughs>
1: But yeah, this is this just sucks, man. This is yeah. this is the perfect picture on the article too. It's I was got about the, to bring that up. <laughs> it's got Charlie Brown and Lucy, and she's you know pulling the uh, instead of a football, she's holding a Super Nintendo uh, box, and she's pulling it out from under Charlie Brown as he goes to kick it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's,
2: oh, it's so good. Some of the comments are pretty funny, too. Like the first guy responding to this article says, good thing I got mine back in 1996. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Beat the rush.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So like I said, it's not Nintendo's fault. I mean, Nintendo does a lot wrong, Mm. but this was solely on Walmart for jumping the gun on this. Now, that being said... I still am not a hundred percent confident they're going to do pre-orders for this thing. I
1: I don't know. I mean, I guess we'll see.
2: But because um, it's not I, too far away, I mean, we're basically in August. Yeah, it's what, and it comes out now? in the end of September.
1: I don't know. I guess we'll see. But yeah, in the same vein as this story uh, with the Super Nintendo Classic, I'm going to go ahead and jump to the next uh, the the third story we have listed here. Um, from RetroGamer.net, is the N64 next for the mini treatment? After some toward years of plummeting home console sales, Nintendo is back on the money train again in recent times, thanks in part to its new approach to the classic gaming market. Nintendo Classic Mini line of plug-and-play consoles made its debut late, late in 2016 with the NES edition quickly caught the imagination of the public. Uh, The authentic look of the system, relatively high emulation quality, and stellar games lineup caused demand that Nintendo couldn't keep up with, and the SNES follow-up is due for a launch soon. Now it appears that an N64 might already be in the works, as previously reported by... Uh, our friends over at Tech Radar Nintendo made a trademark filing with the EU Intellectual Property Office last week which depicts an N64 controller there's nothing intrinsically meaningful about this action after all the company re-registered Virtual Boy as a trademark a few years ago but it's also the kind of thing that can precede a future product what announcement is- Sorry about that I had a uh, they have a ad in the middle of this thing but uh yeah. what do you do you think it's too early to do uh, a uh N64 classic?
2: I don't think so. I mean Nintendo there's been let's see after 64 was GameCube, Wii, Wii, U and the Switch. And I the way I look at it is if it's 20 years or older, you can consider it to be retro. Yeah. And the N64 is over 20 years old. It came out I think in 96. Which would put it right around that mark, but I will I will check that real quick before uh, our friend Wallace corrects me on that. Yeah, I think the uh, the launch date was in 96. Let's see release date. Um it came out in yep, June 23rd, 1996. So I don't think so. I do think it's too soon for a GameCube classic. So I think oh, yeah. after N64, you you wait a few more years to do GameCube, which I think with the N64, if they follow the trend that I've noticed between the NES and the SNES, they might only have like 10 or 15 yeah. games on it because the NES had 30. Super Nintendo has 21 so are they going to put like 10 to 15 on the N64? I mean, wow. that would be a very limited su- uh, a limited supply and plus yeah. you got to think the games that rare made like Banjo-Kazooie, like Perfect Dark, Conker's Bad Fur Day, would they work out something with Rare to include those games? Yeah. Or are they, are they just going to put like, like are they just going to put like Mario 64, um, Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask and a few others? Well, the thing
1: that, you know, going from the Super Nintendo to the N64 is when we started to move away from sprite-based sprite based graphics to, um, you know, polygon, uh, polygonal graphics. And they didn't look that good for quite a few years until, you know, yep. we started getting better processors, being able to render things better. So that's the thing I've noticed having the Nintendo 64 that I got a couple of months ago is they're great games don't get me wrong but they don't look as good as no. the, some of the Nintendo games and especially the Super Nintendo games like I'm sorry as fun as, as Super Mario 64 is it's still not as good looking a game as Super Mario World at least I don't think I mean I no, I, could, I I
2: agree, I agree with that
1: you know, I could uh, anger a lot of people. You know, as much as people love, you know, Ocarina of Time, is it as good looking of a game
2: as, uh, you know, Link to the Past? I don't. No, the, I, poli- I don't the polygon anger look was very <laughs> obvious. You know, back in the day, it was it was pretty apparent. Now, I will say, going back because they re released those games for the 3ds, and they looked a lot cleaner. Yeah, which was nice, but. Most people don't think of that. They think of the original versions that came out on the Nintendo 64. Mm-hmm. I, I would be excited for it. Obviously, I would get one if I was able to find one. Um, I could see the argument that it is maybe a little too early because of the reasons that you said that was the first real transition this into CNET, the like, polygon 3D-based uh, graphics. Yeah. So and we'll I'm we'll just see, but of- I... I I expect, you know, early 2018. I think we'll get an an announcement for N64 Classic.
1: Yeah, but I just, you know, as much as I like my Nintendo 64 and those games, I like them because I experienced them. And I think a lot of people are getting the Super Nintendo Classic and the Nintendo Classic to give it to their kids to play because, you know, it was something they experienced. But I think it's easier to pass along those consoles than it would be to do the Nintendo 64 because A, the graphics aren't that great. They're that transitional period of graphics. Two, that controller was weird. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't like the Nintendo 64 controller at all. It was like, I felt like you're, you know, like holding on to like, the hand of some weird creature, like three fingered creature or something because it, and you mean this controller? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, you don't, you have the one analog stick. Everybody is at this point is so um, ingrained in their head, the dual analog sticks to, to move and stuff. So, you know, going back to that playing that my Nintendo 64 took a lot of, you know, trying to get used to just the one analog stick again. And it was really hard at the time for them to like get the camera to work in these 3d environments and stuff. And I just, I just don't think the Nintendo 64 works, Uh, you know, I just, it's a, it was a great console. It's fun to have, but it it just, it was that transitional, you know, console that had some weird stuff about it that I just don't think translates to, to today.
2: Yeah. No, I I can see your point in that. Yeah, the the controller and I'm this goes along with my review, but playing with the N64 controller again was very weird. You know, yeah. I was used to it when I was a kid because I played it all the time. It was all we had. But yeah, but going back to that after, you know, the GameCube controller, the PlayStation controller, it was really awkward to hold and it, it kind of threw off the mechanics of the game a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I'll delve more into that when when I do my review. But yeah, okay. you know, I totally expect an N sixty four classic next year. Um, well, we're running a little bit late tonight, so we'll we'll cancel this uh, this second
1: story and save it for next week because it's not time sensitive. It's just more of a talk think piece and uh, yeah. uh, about um, the some new emulator consoles that are coming out later this year. And, and like I said, it's not important. We could save that for next week. But um, let's go ahead and move into. If I can pull up my thing here, uh, this month in gaming history, on July fifteenth of nineteen eighty-three, Sega releases the SG one thousand console in Japan on the same day as the Famicom. Now I haven't looked this up yet, but what exactly is the SG one thousand? Well, let's see. Yeah, it according looks to sort Wikipedia, like vision or something like a ColecoVision or something like that.
2: Yeah, it's. Let's see. It. The media it holds is a ROM cartridge, a cassette tape, and a Sega card. That's weird. That is very... I've never seen this before. I've never seen it either. This is my first time I've ever
1: seen this thing. It's interesting. I wouldn't mind actually getting my hands on one to see what it's like. Yeah. Because I don't... I, this did not come out in America. This is uh, This is pre-Master uh, System. So... This has got to be, you know, some. This is what they probably built the Master System off of before bringing it over to America.
2: Probably. Uh, also, on July 15th, Nintendo releases the Family Computer, aka Famicom console, in Japan. Shortly after its release, complaints begin to surface about a rampant system instability, prompting Nintendo to issue a product recall and to re release the machine with a new motherboard. It would later be released worldwide as a little known console that we know as the Nintendo Entertainment System.
1: Yeah, this, uh, and it's funny that you don't think of the Nintendo being out as early as 1983, uh, because we were still playing Atari at that point. But in Japan, you know, they were, they had the Famicom, and it didn't mm-hmm. actually come out in America until two years later. So we were kind of behind on that.
2: Yeah. It's interesting seeing the the look of the Famicom as opposed to the NES system that we got in America. Cause you know, I remember seeing pictures of these in magazines back in the nineties. Yeah. So it, it's it's just interesting to go back and look at that. But yeah, I agree with you. I never think of Nintendo being released as early as eighty three. I always think, you know, eighty five, eighty six.
1: Yeah, that's that's about the time that I think about it, too. Because that's the first time I ever played it was around 85. I remember playing Kung Fu. It was the first game I ever played for it. I'm still on mm-hmm. the, the hunt for that game, though. Uh, but yeah. moving on, uh, in 1989, on July 11th, Capcom releases Mega Man 2 in more countries outside the U.S. So that must have been the EU release on July 11th, 89, because it came out in America in 88. Plushcare.com
2: slash weight loss. Yeah, I mean, you've you've talked about Mega Man 2 in the past and, you know, how great it is. Oh, it's awesome. It's one of the best games for the Nintendo. Yeah, still, I will promise I will check it out <laughs> at some point. <laughs> you have to. Um, also in 1989, on July 27th, Nintendo releases Mother in Japan, Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of this game before, but it is the precursor to Earthbound, a game that I reviewed Mm -hmm. um, early on in this podcast. Um, Mother is very similar to Earthbound. It's basically, it's kind of the same game, but just a little bit different of plot point. And then the sequel was Mother 2, which is what we know as Earthbound. Or Mother One was never released in the US, except for when it was put on the Wii U Virtual Console um, as Earthbound Beginnings. Hmm. And I briefly went back and played it. Um, to me, it does not really hold up. And it's one of those things that, you know, like Earthbound, I grew up with it. So I love it. But this game, even though it's kind of similar. I've noticed several, like, you know, mechanical differences, graphical differences that just make Earthbound a much better game. Yeah. I
1: remember you talking about this, and I'd never seen anything about it until now, looking at it on the the Wikipedia page. It's kind of interesting looking, but it's very bland cover art, if I do say so. Yeah.
2: Yeah, Um, it is. There's actually a third game in the Mother series, um Mother Three that was never released in um in the United States that people are still up in arms about.
1: Hmm. That's weird. Yeah. Uh and on July, um, just says July of nineteen ninety four, LucasArts releases TIE Fighter for the for a computer. I love TIE Fighter. I used to have this and I had uh Rebel Assault for my computer and I actually had a the uh, at like a joystick at time too. It was like a really elaborate joystick I had for my computer. So I loved playing those games. Now I think you can get those now on steam if I'm not mistaken.
2: This is one of those computer games that I remember watching my uncle play when I was a kid, you know, play watching and play this one. uh, Dark forces, I believe Mm -hmm. was the other one that he played quite a bit. So the, even though I personally never played it, Seeing all these screen caps and even the cover art bring back a lot of good memories. Oh, yeah. And this is great graphics for these games, too. Yeah. For the time. On July 5th, 1994, Capcom releases Darkstalkers. Um, I've actually never heard of this game before. Let me look up the cover art.
1: Uh, No, I don't recognize anything about it, so I, I can't speak for this game.
2: It says here it was set in a uh, gothic horror universe and features highly stylized cartoonish graphic style,
1: which I mean, even
2: even from the logo, like I could even though the cover art's not on the Wikipedia page, I can tell that it has some type of animation to it just from the, the logo alone. They don't have any screenshots or anything, too, so
1: I don't know. Yeah, um, and on July fifteenth of nineteen ninety four to round this out, Acclaim Entertainment and Mirage releases the fighting game Rise of the Robots. Do you remember this game? This game was awful. I have never heard of it. Oh, you're not missing much. <laughs> if you if I'm sure there are people listening to this that have played Rise of the Robots. That game is a hot pile of garbage. A hot mess. It is. It's awful. It's 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 that time for the Super Nintendo when everybody was just rushing out as many uh, fighters as they could because of the popularity of like uh, Street Fighter or uh, Street Fighter Two and Mortal Kombat and all that kind of stuff. So they were just throwing out all these kind of half baked uh, fighting fighting games, and it, this is one of the ones that just you this belongs in the trash pile. I will be sure to never play it then. Never do. <laughs> but uh, but coming up in the, the mid part of our show here, right before we go into our review, uh, we like to talk about books. So Derek, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're listening to this week?
2: Yes. Yeah, so for you, the listeners of the Nerd Cave Retro podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. They have a ton of books. We say it week after week, but I can't emphasize it enough. They have over a hundred and eighty thousand books. And right now, I'm listening to a book that I've brought up in the past, Astrophysics for People in a Hurry by Neil deGrasse Tyson. It's one of those books that you really need to, I guess, pay attention to. like a lot of books you can be doing, like laundry or yeah. you know other things. but this is a book. You want to be in like a nice, quiet room, maybe laying down on your bed, and just listen to the the soothing tones of Neil deGrasse Tyson as he talks about outer space. Oh yeah, so, but so far I'm I'm enjoying it. Um, I've had you know little time to actually listen to big chunks of it. I've been listening to it a little bit at a time. So it's a really short book. It's less than four hours long, as far as audiobooks go. So yeah. if you have a day. To, to just listen to it, then you can do that. Soon as but download y- the, soon as I'm done with the Dark Tower series, I'll pick that one up. <laughs> it's pretty good. Uh, but yeah, to download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash nerdcave. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash nerdcave. Mm, excuse me, for your free audiobook. And for our review this week, Derek will be
1: talking about...
2: Ah, uh, yes. Star Wars Shadows of the Empire. This actually won a poll that I posted on the Nerd Cave Facebook page. It's something I've been, you know, liking doing for a while now is, you know, letting the people decide what I want to review. Because that way, I don't have to decide. Mm-hmm. So, this was, um, this was an interesting game for the Nintendo 64. It's a video game developed and published by LucasArts. Primarily a third-person shooter, the game also utilizes multiple types of vehicular combat sequences. It was released for the Nintendo 64 on December 3rd, 1996. And it was released on Windows 95 one year later on September 17th, 1997. Now, before I go into like the actual game itself, Shadows of the Empire to me is... Uh, my personal favorite Star Wars Extended Universe story. It was really the first big one. Uh, it takes place in between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. And it focuses on this character called Dash Rendar, who is a friend of Han Solo. He's uh, Personality-wise, he's very much like Han Solo. He even has his own ship. So the Millennium Falcon, it's called the Outrider. And it, deal, it delves a little bit more into, um, you know, Boba Fett getting to Jabba the Hutt, delivering Han Solo to Jabba the Hutt, and it's to me the best story that shows what a badass Boba Fett can be. Because, yeah, he's cool and all, but in the movies, he doesn't really do anything. Yeah, he gets knocked. He gets knocked in the Sarlacc pit. So, as far as the game goes, uh, it follows the story of the book, if you've ever read it. It's available in, like, paperback book. Uh, There's a graphic novel that's also very good. Um, I would definitely recommend checking that out if you're interested, just even in the story alone. It's still my favorite extended universe story, and to me, the most iconic, in my opinion.
1: So, um, I know we've talked about it before, but um, is Shadows of the Empire still considered canon? or is it I don't
2: I don't believe so. Oh, that's that sucks cuz this is a really good story. I would love if they made this into like a CG animated movie. Yeah.
1: Cuz it's all that about would be it sick. Takes, because if any, you know, if you've never heard of this game or anything, this was kind of a big deal back in the 90s. They did this whole series. It was, you know, it was a comic book series, it was a, you know, it was a a novel or a couple of novels mm-hmm. and then they did the game. And it takes place between Empire and Return of the Jedi, so it was the entire story of, you know, them trying to find uh, Han Han Solo, trying to get him back, and Mm -hmm. you know, Prince Zizor, who was like a huge part of the uh, the extended universe with the Black Sun. You know, this was like a huge epic story that, you know, at a time when we didn't have any Star Wars, (laughs) if you can remember a time like that.
2: Yeah, it's also, it shows also that relationship between Vader and the Emperor as well, because Mm -hmm. Shizor tries to take Vader's spot. And it also shows a little bit of Vader's insecurities, Mm -hmm. because, you know, even after, you know, Anakin takes a lava bath and becomes Vader, uh, Palpatine is already looking for his replacement. Because yeah, here's this chosen kid who's gonna be you know the greatest Sith of all time, and his emotions get the best of him, and he loses all his limbs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it kind of shows the insecurities of Vader, in my opinion, because Shizor is trying to get close with the Emperor. So he's like, "Oh, you're you're getting a little too close there, buddy." But um, as far as the game goes, it's a cool story. But going back and playing it, I realized, one, how frustratingly difficult it can be. Mm-hmm. Because it starts during Empire. It starts during the Battle of Hoth. You're flying a snowspeeder, and you've got to do the whole tow cables and you know take out the AT-AT walkers and everything. And then you go inside the base, and that's when you really take control of Dash Rendar. It doesn't give you a ton of instruction. It just kind of throws you into it. Yeah, I remember. And that. then, of course, of course, you've got to fight an ATST Walker as Dash Rendar. So you're like, how the hell do you do that? And you through there, it goes through the whole story, like from the book. You get to go to Tatooine, uh, do you know speeder bike level, which is pretty cool. Uh, but the the controls were very clunky, oh, yeah. and. It it does not hold up very well, gameplay and graphic wise. We were talking about the Nintendo sixty four graphics. The graphics are not very good. They in were this good game. at
1: the time. At the time, we at had the never time seen yes, like absolutely that.
2: yes. But you go back and look at them
1: now, and it's like, man, this is some ugly stuff, man.
2: Yeah, it's uh, it was pretty rough. Um, I can say I've never actually beat this game before. I, I did beat it at the time. This was one of the few games
1: on the Nintendo 64. I beat this, and um, uh, I beat uh, Resident Evil 2 multiple times. Uh, and I can't remember. There was a couple other games that I think I finished, but I'd have to go back and really dig deep on what I finished for the Nintendo 64.
2: Yeah. Um, highlights from this game, You know, to me, the biggest is just the story. Getting to play through the shadows of the Empire story and going through those iconic locations like Hoth, like Tatooine, mm-hmm. all of that's really cool. But I say that about all Star Wars games because yeah. <laughs> you know we both we both grew up loving Star Wars, so yeah. just any any experience to go to that world is great. Well, I would love to to have them uh, take this game and just
1: redo it with you know, on one of the engines, um, you know, the game engines from today and put it with a controller where you can actually control the vehicles. And, you know, and and one of the most frustrating things about this game was, you know, there's a lot of parts where you're trying to make precise jumps and things like that and running on levels where you're, you know, you're on a path where you can fall off. And it it just, the controls were horrible. You know, you were always falling to your death and just, you
2: know. Yeah, like, you take one nature. wrong step like even close to the edge of a cliff mm-hmm. and you just go yep. <laughs> and uh, I remember um
1: you know, I did finish this game and I remember it took me a long time to do it, but um this is a really fun game, but like I said, I wish that they could go back and just kind of redo it for you know, yeah.
2: like the PlayStation f- uh, 4 or something like that. That would be fun. That'd be really cool. So I'm reading some more about like the behind-the-scenes stuff of this game. And I- I'm reading this for the first time. Um, obviously, they used MIDI versions of John Williams' soundtrack. Yeah. Um, one of the voices, which I find very interesting, the voice of Luke Skywalker, who was the official audio double for Mark Hamill, is a guy named Bob Bergen, huh. who is... The current voice of Porky Pig and former Derek Diamond experience guest, really. I did not know that. I wish I knew this like I when know. I because I didn't come across this at all when I was doing prep work to do his interview. i would have it would have been one of my first things to ask him, so was this the uh, the only game that he did the voice of Luke Skywalker? because I know
1: there were other um there were n sixty four titles the Star Wars Rogue Squadron. Uh, that I had. I think I finished that one too. Uh, and I think he did the voice for that too. Yeah. It says here.
2: Let's see. Yeah. It was Battlefront 2, uh, Star Wars Force Commander, Galactic Battlegrounds, The Jedi Knight Academy games. Those were good games too. Rebellion, to Rogue Squadron, one, two, and three. Uh, he did sh- uh, the voice of, um, Shadows of the Empire, just for the PC version. Mm. Holy crap! I did not know that.
1: Hmm. Well, maybe if you ever God. get them on the show again, you can ask them about it. Yeah.
2: No that that's cool. That's really cool. But yeah, as far as my I guess number grade of this game, I would give it probably I'd say like a six and a half or a seven. That like I love fair. the I love the story. But the clunky gameplay just really kind of brings it down for me.
1: Yeah. And that's one of the downfalls of the Nintendo 64, is you go back and you try to play games using that single analog stick, and it just doesn't work. You need to have two analog sticks to play anything properly.
2: Yeah. No, I agree. But uh, some of the reviews that this game got... Um, let's see, with the developer reporting more than 1 million copies sold by 97, Shadows of the Empire is the, th- the third top-selling N64 game for that year, which was September 96 to August 97. It is receive- received generally mixed to positive reviews from critics. The main criticism of the game was how its stunning first level makes the rest of the game seem like a letdown. GameSpots John Brody claimed that the control, camera angles and frustrating save feature keep it from reaching its full potential. Yeah. And and then all game Scott Allen Marriott criticized the shooting sequences as rather boring probably due to the less involving third person perspective. That's another thing and I most, forgot about
1: was the the save feature for this game was kind of clunky if I if I yeah. remember correctly.
2: Yeah, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was like. But I remember it was really weird.
1: Yeah, I might have to pick this up for my Nintendo 64. Um, And I do remember one of the coolest parts of this game, and probably scariest parts, was the fight with IG-88 on um, Ord Mantell.
2: Yep. I remember that part of that game used to freak me out. IG-88, is he's up there on my favorite list of bounty hunters. Oh, yeah. And he's terrifying when you have to fight him, especially yeah. when you don't know
1: where he is and you're fighting him in a giant trash pile and, and you yeah. hear him, but you can't see him. That's frightening to me. I think they need to make another game with that in mind. Like, make a bounty hunters game or something like that. Like I sh- We should be game developers.
0: <laughs> we should,
1: yeah. At
2: least come up with the story. Be like, oh, hey... Yeah. Make this. Uh, that's one of the spinoff movies I hope they do with Star Wars. Is something to do with the bounty hunters? Yeah. Because that, we've never seen their story really, or yeah. not really anything with them other than standing on the the main deck of the star destroyer. Yeah, I would love to see like just a, a you know, they don't even have to do an ongoing series, but just
1: do like a you know, a six or eight episode, you know, run of the Star Wars bounty hunters and it can be animated. I'd be totally okay with that and put it on like yeah. Netflix or something.
2: That's just so simple. Yeah. Get on it, people. Let's do this. It's stuff we want to see. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I need stuff to binge watch. But, uh, uh, but, but most reviews, and I'll conclude it with this. Most reviews, Give it between the like the five and a half to seven range. Yeah, well, which, that's I, about which I think I am, is about so right.
1: Yeah, I think that's good. It's not bad. It's not a bad game by any stretch of the no. imagination. It's just this the bad controls and it's really the Nintendo 64's fault, <laughs> I think.
2: Yeah, if this game had been made like now, it would be really good. I think. Yeah, with better graphics, better gameplay. Like if they redid this game, I would absolutely pick it up, oh, I would too, in a heartbeat,
1: yeah, but um, next week, I think I am going to do a Super Nintendo game game that I've been wanting to do for a while It's actually one of the first games I got for the Super Nintendo, and I still have it to this day, and I still play it, and it's still great. It's final fight by Capcom for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System.
2: Nice. I never played that game, but I'll have to look into it before it, next week. It's still one of my favorite side-scrolling beat-em-ups of all time.
1: Like I can go back and play that game at any time and be happy. Because you don't have to think. All you got to do is just beat people up. And the controls, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, looking forward to
2: it. Absolutely. But uh, is there anything else you want to talk about this week before we get out of here? Um, I don't think so. Just as always, check out the Derek Diamond experience on Tuesdays. This week uh, is episode 150, which is pretty exciting. Uh, Damn. me and two friends of mine uh saw Dunkirk uh oh. last weekend, so we did a Christopher Nolan Films Roundtable, oh, which cool. was a lot of fun to do. So, uh, definitely check that out if you're a fan of Christopher Nolan because we go through not just like Dunkirk but Inception, Memento. Uh, Insomnia, the Dark Knight trilogy, like all his major movies we touch on and go pretty in-depth on. Oh, I'll be listening to that. I actually saw Atomic Blonde today. Uh, my review of
1: that oh, movie, uh, other than some pacing issues, it was really good. And, and the fight scenes, if you like the daredevil fight scenes, and you know which ones I'm talking about, the ones that like have no cuts, and they, you just show them being exhausted after the end of these mm-hmm. fights... This is the movie for you, because she she has some pretty wicked fight scenes in this movie. I do want to go
2: see it. I'll try and check that out this week.
1: And it was a graphic novel. I did not know that um, at the time. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to have to go back and search this thing out and, and read the graphic novel for it.
2: Absolutely. Oh, and
1: it's got a great soundtrack, too. If you love 80s movies or 80s music, this is the movie for you.
2: Oh, I'm I'm there. You had no. me sold at eighty soundtrack. I'm, I'm picking up the soundtrack as soon as I
1: can because it is awesome. Nice. But let me go ahead and bring up our stuff here, and I'll go ahead and and play us out. Uh, If you would like to email us, you can email us at nerdcaveretro at gmail.com. We're at nerdcaveretro.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at nerdcaveretro, at JFunktastic, at Derek underscore Diamond. And we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash nerdcaveretro. And we'll be back next week to talk about Final Fight. So Derek,
2: tell them what it's all about. May the force be with you.